KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. We've been keeping an eye on the world of agriculture during this pandemic and how food supply chains are holding up, uh, how different farmers with different commodities are dealing with the current situation. Uh, a few weeks ago, we checked in with John Urbanchuk, assistant professor and chair of the agribusiness department at Delaware Valley University. Kind of got the, the view from 30,000 feet on how the world of agriculture was dealing with everything. We thought, given that we're still in the midst of this pandemic, we don't know when it's going to end. We would check in with him again, see if anything's changed, uh, what he's keeping an eye on, and what he is seeing in the world of farming. Give a listen. All right, we spoke a few weeks ago when we were really starting to get our hands around the, some of the problems or some of the concerns on the agriculture side. Uh, for the most part, you felt like the food chain farmers were going to be able to weather the storm. You still feeling as confident? Has the needle moved for you at all on that? From the farmer side, absolutely. I feel I feel confident that that from the producer side, they're going to be able to weather the storm. Obviously, we've seen um, um, not stimulus checks, but we've seen recovery checks and uh, funding come from the uh, Department of Agriculture, the administration, to particularly the small farmers, but others, and that's been a big help. Uh, spring planting season is underway. Um, we haven't seen any noticeable decline in animal numbers. Um, breeding herds for, for hogs are still up just slightly in the most recent period. We may see some declines as we move forward. Um, fruits and vegetables production. The only big problem has been, as we said the last time around, has been in the area of labor, worker, farm workers, and people who are working in the processing plants, particularly in the, uh, in the meat processing area. And that, that becomes a bottleneck. It hasn't been, I don't think, felt so significantly yet at the farm level. We haven't had those major backups. And um, there are some anecdotal indications that we're starting to see that bottleneck uh, reflect itself at the retail markets. Uh, but I don't have any, any meaningful empirical evidence to suggest that's the case yet. Kind of going along with that, you're, you are hearing more and more of these stories. If this continues, if we see more and more of these plants or they struggle to get back uh, up to speed going forward, how much bigger could the problem get? Frankly, I don't think a lot bigger uh, for two reasons. One, as we indicated before, the industry, the agriculture industry, basically lost half of its market, and that's the food away from home component, largely restaurants and, and full service and fast food restaurants. So from that perspective, that that market has essentially disappeared. Now, it's going to come back and it's going to come back slowly as more and more states open up. So that market's going to come back a little bit and that will take some of the pressure off um, those excess supplies that I talked about from the from the from the animal side. Uh, but we've seen some realizations. We've seen products that would have gone into the institutional market now going into the retail market. So that's one indication. The other indication is that um, the president came out, I think, a week ago and declared that the meat processing industry is an essential industry and they had to stay open. So I 
think you might know, my, my sense is that people are finding a way to continue to operate maybe at a lower level of capacity but they're operating so i think that as we move forward and we get more and more experience of doing this um, it should be less of a problem i don't see a catastrophe uh, occurring now you know i said that i mean that in the general sense i don't mean to suggest that there aren't going to be areas or spots particularly in in large metropolitan areas and some areas where there are food deserts for example uh, that people have tr- even when times are good they have trouble getting food um uh i'm i'm not suggesting that you're not going to find those kinds of things and uh you'll forgive me please uh you're you're a, a journalist um but uh my 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 um observation is that the journalistic community is going out there and trying to find the extreme cases and you look and you'll find them. We talk about the the meat packing plants and it seems like the main problem has been just overwhelming numbers of people coming down with the virus that they've had to alter operations or shut down operations. Do you think this experience will lead to any long-term changes on how things are handled at these processing plants or is there really not a lot of wiggle room because of what the job entails? No, I don't think I, I think that's a good good observation. I'm not sure I'm not sure how much wiggle room there is from an engineering or industrial engineering perspective. There's a possibility we may see more mechanization, but I don't think that'll be the case. These plants are largely um, uh, if you've ever been to a, a meter or poultry processing plant, there's a combination of equipment obviously and people. but it requires a good amount of skill to, to be a good meat cutter. So I, I think we'll find ways to protect people more effectively. Maybe it's through different kinds of personal protective equipment or maybe more distance between people. But I don't know that there's an awful lot of wiggle room there. I will tell you that across the board, however, from a technology perspective, this is going to give the um, technology developers a significant shot in the arm to look for ways to replace labor with, with capital. Um, everything from picking vegetables and fruit to uh, to uh, processing meat and poultry. Um, but yes, I think that we'll see some changes over the very long term. Um, I, uh, my expectation, I, my assumption from what I read, is that this isn't going to be a short-term problem. It's going to be with us for some time, and as a consequence, we're going to have to evolve the way we do things. And that was kind of my next question, and you kind of leaned into it a little bit there. Are there other aspects, kind of a, if we take the long, broader view of the world of agriculture in this moment, are we learning other things that could make agribusiness better? I mean, kind of the you know, necessity is the mother of invention type situation? Well, absolutely, and, and that goes to what I was just talking about. Uh, we have seen over the last, oh, gee, was 25 or 30 years, I think it's going back further than that. Um, a replacement of labor with capital. So we've looked at machines, robotics, and other forms of of technology that can help on the primarily on on the on the production agriculture side. Uh, a lot of that's been incorporated into the processing side as well, but perhaps not as much. Um, but we're going to see, I think, through the entire chain, the whole. When I tell my students, agribusiness is everything from the inputs going into agriculture through production agriculture to processing, distribution, logistics, all the way through retail. So that whole chain 
I think we're going to see people look at and say, what improvements can we make? And how can we use technology to help us do that? Uh, we knew that it was important, but now it's become very vitally important. So I think one of the things that, that m makes us as a country, as a people unique uh, in the world is our spirit of innovation and entrepreneurship. And very frankly, we have a lot of very, very bright people that are now working on issues and problems in a way that uh, have taken on a, a re renewed importance. And I think that over the long term, that's going to help us significantly. Uh, you mentioned last week, touched on it earlier in this conversation, we're into the planning season. So uh, the fruits and vegetables will be coming more from our country instead of bringing that in. How big is that in the situation we are in to be kind of rolling into the that part of the calendar uh, for the produce? To... I, I think from the fruit and vegetable side, that's a really, really big deal. Um, and, you know, as we indicated during the winter months and the early, very early spring, we get a lot of our fruits and vegetables from the Southern hemisphere or from the, the Gulf coast. And, and, um, uh, uh, we're starting. We're starting to see more and more of that come uh, come from 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 uh, domestic producers, and that'll continue really pretty much into the early fall. Uh, so I think that's going to be a, a big, uh, a significant benefit. Now, going to go back to what we talked about again, and I think one of the things that we indicated before was was uh, one of my students who's working in vegetables in in Florida, and they're picking fresh vegetables, but they have a very short shelf life. So the, the issue becomes one of logistics and distribution. And from, from, from everything that I've seen is we've seen some improvements in being able to move those products into the markets. Um, and that's going to, that, that will be, uh, I think that will work, uh, work for us well as we move through the summer and into, into the early fall. That will help us significantly. And it was interesting in talking to you before and in talking to some farmers for the other podcasts we did, it seems like one of the big problems in negotiating the different food chains from the retail to the commercial is the packaging. It's a really big hurdle to overcome because you send, you know, you're, you're sending 300 eggs to a restaurant instead of sending 12 eggs to, to a person. Uh, do you think there will be something where all the packaging comes closer towards the middle to, to help this? Or is that not something you're looking at? Is it cost prohibitive? No, it's not, it, it's, it's not cost prohibitive. And yes, we, we will see more and more of that. Now, in uh, products like eggs, eggs are really um, um, unique in some instances because they're so fragile. Um, so rather than have a carton that has 100 eggs in it, we're looking at smaller cartons. So there may not be an awful lot you can do there. But in terms of things like fruits and vegetables, um, um, yes, there, there, are, there, are, there are significant uh, changes and improvements that can be made in that area. For example, one of the things you may be able to, and in fact, I'm working on a project now with a commodity group um, dealing specifically with this. And I, I'm not sure how much I can say um, without getting their permission to talk about. But the idea here is that when you've got a, a vegetable that's coming in and then being packed, you know, those little cartons you go and buy in, in the grocery store, right? Well, instead of having that done at the producer or distributor, having bulk go to the grocery store or the retail outlet, and then have people 
individually pick how much they want and and not necessarily packaging it. So that could that does a couple of things. One, it gives the consumer more control over exactly what they want to buy. But on the other side, it, uh, it also uh, reduces the cost to the packer as well because they don't have to have special packing lines. They don't have to buy that all that material. So those are the kinds of things, particularly in the fruits and vegetables area, we've seen some of that. Um, if you go, for example, to a, to a, and the one that just comes to my mind is, is Wegmans, and I know other grocery store chains are doing the same thing. When you go into their fruit and, fruit and produce area, you can basically choose how much of whatever you want, put it in a bag, weigh it, and there it's done, as opposed to buying a, a, a package of something. We've touched on a lot. Is there a commodity? Is there an aspect we haven't talked about that you have concerns, short or long term, uh, given this unique situation we're living through? Well, the biggest biggest thing that I can see right now, of course, and this is something we talked about before, and that's the dairy sector. And and the dairy sector has been under pressure for quite a long time. This is though this has become a real significant additional problem. But what this may do is this may accelerate the structural change in the dairy industry um, um, that that was sort of taking place, but really not being completely affected. That's the one industry I think that's likely to be most significantly affected directly in in the near term. Um, but again, remember they lost half of their market, so now it's it's a question of of rationalization and realignment. Now, obviously that market's going to come back, but it's going to come back gradually over time. It isn't going to just, we're not going to wake up on the first of June and say, bye-bye, well, you know, half of the market's back again. It's not going to work that way. How much does a staggered quote unquote reopening kind of complicate things? Because you can't just go back to where you were two months ago You've kind of had to make some changes to adjust to, to losing half the market, but let's say 12% of the market comes back, but then it dips back because a major part of the area shuts down. How about how much of a challenge is this going to be forward just navigating uh, your demand and your supply? It's going to make it more complicated. I frankly can't answer the question because there are just too many unknowns. Um, we can restaurateurs can open their doors, but that doesn't mean to say people are going to come in. Um, it, it, there are too many unknowns to be able to address that, except to say that it's going to complicate that issue. And producers are looking at that in a very, very long term. Now, one of the things that I'm going to be very interested in looking at are, are what the cattle on feed numbers and the, uh, the pig crop numbers are. And we get those twice a year, Okay. So I'm going to be interested to see what the uh, uh, July 1st pig crop number is uh, to see if that's changed dramatically from a year ago, if that's come down. Because what that's an indication is that's an indication that the pork producer said, we don't think that market's going to be there. So we're not going to raise that many pigs. Uh, We haven't seen that kind of a response yet. We know what the slaughter numbers are. They're down quite clearly, but the animals are still there. Now, they're not going to keep them forever because if you keep them, you have to feed them. And that's very, very expensive. And in fact, we've seen a number of stories that have come to fore that that say that, you know, uh, uh, people are going out and they're euthanizing uh, livestock and they're euthanizing chickens. And the reason for that is if they don't have the market for them, they don't want to keep them around and feed them. Um, and uh, that 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 obviously creates a problem in the minds of consumers 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be that much fewer meat available to retail level again because of that rest of that market that's going back now as it comes back the biological cycles come into play all right it takes 18 to 24 months to grow a to, to grow a, a, a steer to to uh, from calf to, to slaughter weight all right so that's a long cycle it takes roughly six months for a hog a mm, little less and you can grow chicken in about five, five, six to seven weeks. So you can respond pretty quickly as long as that infrastructure is still there. Similarly with eggs, you know, it doesn't take that long to, to bring it back. So they can respond pretty quickly. There may be distributional issues. So you have more pork and more poultry than you have red meat, uh, beef. But we haven't seen it. I haven't seen anything in the numbers that tells me that's going to be a problem. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.